this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. This week, Jay, we are back with another requested review. Requested, requested review. review. This one's a little bit different. How's that? Well, this is one of our multiple free reviews that Gavin Reed earned over the years. He won a bunch of our year-end contests. So for life, he has like two free reviews every year. <laughs> and then he's also a Patreon subscriber and he is generous and often finances yep. a in-year review via of our PayPal PayPal option. So pretty much like out of the tw- 29 or 30 reviews we'll do this year, I think Gavin's got four of them locked up already. And he brings us good stuff too. He, he does. I think consistently stuff that we neither of us have really ever heard of before. So, and yep. I think his track record's pretty solid, right? Yeah, it's yeah. all over the place like in terms of it's not always Australian. He's, he's given us some other stuff too, but yeah. he definitely has been our, our link to a lot of lesser known or unknown Australian bands that we've been able to check out. And that's the case, at least for me, this week with Gavin's suggestion that we check out the debut self titled album by baby animals jay i was not familiar with baby animals were you uh no i was not here's what gavin had to say about baby animals so we can get his viewpoint and then we'll get into some history and whatnot he said this is another album that was huge here which is australia but seems to have not made a dent overseas maybe it's a bit too straightforward hard rock in a year which would be 1991 where that wasn't cool Either way, I still love it and feel it holds up really well. For me, Suze, who's the lead singer, Suze or Susie DeMarchi, is trying to channel Chrissy Amphlett, who was the lead singer who recently passed away of Divinals, mm-hmm. um, or even a young Melissa Etheridge. Given the year and the relative obscurity of the band pre release, the sound is really clean and crisp. Pity that after this, it kind of imploded. A marriage to Nuno Betancourt and then singing in French and the world moved on without them. Huh. So let's get into that. Uh, let's talk about Baby Animals, the band, and then a little bit about Suze. I'm not sure if it's Suze or Susie. It's like Suze Orman, you know, the financial advisor. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Suze. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the album we're reviewing is their self-titled debut. It was released September of 1991. A few other albums were released in September of 91 you might have heard of. One was called Nevermind. Another one was Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, comparison's sake. Uh, there was another record that came out that year that had that? kind of a big hit. What was that? Divinals. Oh, that was 91 as well? Yes, it was. Interesting. I mean, they had many albums, but that's the one yeah, that... It's the big hit single. The self-titled that broke out here in the States. Right. So Suze was originally a, a solo uh, artist for EMI and from Perth, Australia, but had been recording and uh, working in England. And she left EMI and moved back to Perth. And in 1989, formed Dee Dee and the Rockman with drummer Frank Salenza. A year later, which would be 1990, 
The two of them formed the Baby Animals with guitarist Dave Leslie and bassist Eddie Paris. The self-titled album, which we're reviewing, went multi-platinum in Australia. And in 1993, they released... I think it was 93. Let me double-check that. Uh, yeah, 93. Shaved and Dangerous is the name of the sophomore album. It was around this time or just before that Seuss Marchi, DeMarchi uh, started dating Nuno Betancourt. He contributed songwriting to that second album and they were together from 19 well they were they got together in 93 got married in 94 had a couple kids separated in 2009 and divorced in 2013 so the band separated in uh, after the label that they were on which was um, is it a majo or imago or imago i'm not sure how you say that but it's i m a g o I'm a go. I'm a go. I'm going to let you talk, but it folded. Suze ended up putting out a solo record, uh, Telelove, in March of 1999. And then the band got back together, which, of course, every band does. In 2007, uh, they released a acoustic album called Il Grande Silenzio, which is basically re-recordings acoustically of their hit singles, I guess, Australian hit singles from the first two records. They toured. They uh, had some member changes. Salenza and Paris dropped out of the band in 2009. They were replaced by drummer Mick Skelton and bassist Dario Bordelin. And they that quartet recorded This Is Not The End in 2013, which was an album of all new material. Um, and then in 2016... Salenza and Paris rejoined the group for a couple shows to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the album Baby Animals. So there we have it. That's the history of Baby Animals. Um, one other side note, usually we don't get into this, but this is just an interesting bit of info. When Suze DiMarici was in England on doing the solo uh, material for EMI, she dated Gavin Rossdale before he was in Bush. And then when he formed Bush and started writing songs, uh, he wrote the song Come Down about her. Uh, okay. Interesting oh. bit of trivia. Yeah, definitely. Of course, I want to remind everybody, if you would like to suggest an album, you can go to our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com, or you can go to Patreon and become a Patreon subscriber and you can leave feedback on the albums that we're going to review, such as these folks did. Steven Muzinski said, Gave this a quick listen this morning. Can't help but compare the vocal delivery to that of Heart. I'm not a big Heart fan or anything, so maybe I'm way off here. But I kept coming back to that for whatever reason. Also, the double bass on track two, that was highly unexpected. And then Mr. Keith Sawyer said, uh, under his alias Mike Bossy Nass at the time. I reviewed this one for my college radio station back when it came out. Whoa, he still has the CD, Jay. Uh, the heart comparison is where I immediately went as well. It has the same AOR sound. That's uh, album-oriented rock, I believe is the acronym. Same AOR sound of the time as well. All brawny guitars and breathy vocals. So that is our patreon feedback from our subscribers you can of course join us 
at the $1 level, which is our welcome package, and then the 250 level gets you an album review after 12 months. We just did a giveaway at the beginning at the end of last year, but we gave it away at the beginning of this year, and there are more giveaways to come. So make sure to check that out if you can. So, Jay, you weren't familiar with Baby Animals, and I wasn't familiar with Baby Animals. Uh, well, I, I, uh, Gavin actually mentioned the this band to us uh, a couple of months ago, I feel like, or maybe he made the request a, a while back. So I I had to, jumped into uh, this record, oh, at least several months ago. So okay, but but yeah, I mean it was it was related to this. Gotcha. So tell me one thing you liked about the record. Well, I like the records that we sometimes get, not a lot, where they are very much not touched by the grunge movement. Um, they just happen at a time where, I think, in the case of this, in the time and place where, at least from everything I can hear, they are completely oblivious to that happening or going to happen. Uh, right. You know, that's a nice change of pace. It lets you connect back to some things from the 80s that are maybe a little underserved in the podcast, usually. So I hear, um, I definitely hear the AOR part of it, but I also hear the pretenders. You know, I kind of hear yep. that alternative of the 80s, you know, even though it may have been, you know, pretenders had commercial success. So, you know, it still has some commercial commerciality to it and some appeal, mass appeal, but... I heard more pretenders than I heard, at least vocally, than I heard heart. Now, the AOR part for me, I, I hear more of a band like like Bad Company, um, mm-hmm. both the 80s version and the 70s version, um, when they get the big guitar thing going and the big drum thing going. Uh, it has a tendency to move in that direction. Uh, but the vocal, to me, is what is what makes it unique. I think her delivery, her sound... Uh, the melodies that she comes up with. I think there's some good chord changes the band provides. I think that is what makes it not straight AOR and its own thing. So I would say the biggest standout for me is is the vocal and the vocal melodies. Yeah, I'm going to go a bit further and say that not only was this not touched by grunge, it wasn't touched by alternative music in any way, in that it's when I'm listening to it, I hear, like you said, you know, the 80s AOR. I also hear... In the guitar playing, there's some definite Eddie Van Halen influence in the tone and the sound of it. When you hear a song, I'm, I'm thinking of like "Finish What You Started," like you can hear those that kind of tone. Not the heavier Van Halen. Oh, uh, like, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean, like "Finish What You Started" or "Can't Stop Loving You" off of Balance. Those, they are. The AOR stuff that they did. Yes, know, exactly. Pop oriented, same thing. Right, yeah. but there's clearly talent at the guitar. I mean that. You oh, can shred. Definitely, definitely. And I can see why Nuno Betancourt would be uh, working with them in that, you know, for being a four-piece, but essentially it's she's singing and playing a little bit of rhythm guitar. Um, the guitar, Dave Leslie, uh, he's carrying, you know, a lot of the band. Now, the trick is when listening to an album like this, it's, you know, you can't judge it against what is and what has been and what we're listening to now so like i get caught because sometimes i'm listening to it, i'm like wow that's a really chorus guitar yeah. and it's kind of a it's kind of distracting how much chorus is on <laughs> on that yeah, on yeah. that riff but then i you know i try to place it like you said in the context of like obviously with having a female lead vocalist you start to drift towards 
the pretenders or Joan Jett or Pat Benatar, similar AOR sort of female led artists or female led bands. And I think in terms of what she delivers, like you said, like her vocal hits all those sort of styles and the Wilson sisters with heart. But what's interesting, I threw the headphones on Katie just for a sec, my wife, because I wanted to get her opinion without any information about where the band was from, what time frame they were. And I played her the first song, which is Rush You. And she heard the first verse. And she goes, she kind of sounds like PJ Harvey. I was like, huh, I would never have picked that up. But to her, having not having any visual, not having any, you know, backstory on the band, yep. she heard an alternative artist. Yeah, as a comparison. So, I think that's interesting. I think the band itself is very, you know, it alternative and grunge have not happened yet. Yeah, as far as the band is concerned, but her as a vocalist, um, I think she kind of defies that sort of categorization. I really like that she uses her vocal in a lot of different ways and that she has a rasp to her vocal when she gets a little bit edgier. Yeah. It's very gritty and it sounds cool. takes more risk than you're going to hear you know uh you know nancy wilson take right i mean she's going to push uh she's not going to go the big voice like they do but she's going to whisper and kind of purr and right like sing to the song and really push the character a little bit more um as opposed to being uh they are going to be more in the uh you know on the note um expected well radio worthy kind of verse Right. Um, so, so maybe that's yeah. I, I definitely can hear that's where the 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 alternative aspect of her vocal comes through for me. So you could say PJ Harvey or any other variety of female vocalists in the '90s who who started to go beyond you know the expected you know radio type vocal. Now, in terms of the record, I thought it really started out strong. Rush you, early warning, painless. These were the singles that were released on the record, and I, all really strong songs. I felt like. She can carry the slower stuff, but the band becomes very predictable in some of the yeah. softer, you know, more ballady type songs. And then you get to the back half of the record and you get to a song like Ain't Gonna Get, which the verse of that song, I was like, why wasn't there more of this? I mean, it is a <clears throat> punk rock up tempo. It sounds like, uh, we talk about like action rock and and the Scandinavian stuff from the late '90s, but it almost has like that kind of feel. And then it goes into a chorus that sounds like "I want rock and roll," the guitar part.
I kind of was like, oh, this is where, like, I, I haven't heard the second record, but I'm like, maybe this is where they started going, which is like this little bit heavier, faster sound. Because that's what I was kind of, when I was pre-judging what I thought the band was going to sound like based on the album cover, I was like, well, I'm hoping this will be either like, like heavy punkish rock with like, you know, a, a Wild Hearts or a, or some sort of edge to it. Or I was thinking maybe it'll be like lush or, you know, some sort of shoegazy type heavier or not heavier, but uh, dreamy type sound. So when it was more AOR, I was like, eh, well, that's OK. But yep. when I got to that last song, I was, oh, I really wish it was more of this. I don't know. What was your opinion on? Uh, Yeah, I, I like I liked it. I like the um, unexpected double bass that shows up a couple of times through mm-hmm. the record, too. Yeah. Um, you can tell these guys have played some metal in their day <laughs> um right. and, they, and they bring it out in ways that i think it still works it's it makes it unique they don't i think the last song is probably the quote-unquote heaviest they ever get even on some of the other uh, rockers on the record it's you know the guitar tones are they're not over the top you know it's still textured and layered and accessible it never gets too you know, over the top, except for that last track where they really just let loose. So I would have liked to hear, I mean, frankly, I would, I would take out one or two of the ballads and I would rather hear a couple more songs like that to see where they could push that type of sound and idea. Um, and the energy is just appreciated. You know, I think the album gets a little, by that point in the record, it starts to all feel very calculated and yeah. sort of borderline sterile. So when they just let loose, it really helps show a different side of the band. And I think the album would have benefited from a couple more spots like that, where they really just, you know, just let go and kind of cleanse your palate and re- reset the, reset the album. Yeah. I just, I, I felt like in terms of like a track, like break my heart, which is not necessarily a bell, but it's kind of mid tempo. Like it, it just doesn't seem like guitar wise. He thinks of much to do just kind of like hits notes and let them ring out and has a very like, black velvet Atlanta miles kind of <laughs> feel to it where yep. it, it just doesn't have any sort of counterpoint to her vocal. That's making it all that interesting. And at least with Make It End, which is the one that I referenced that has the very chorusy guitar, she pushes her vocal quite a bit into a different range uh, for part of that song, which helps, I think, kind of distract from the safeness of the music overall. But when you mentioned about like the heavier aspect, like Waste of Time, when that song starts out, it's got that double kick. I mean, you're like, whoa, what's this? But that's a riff. really cool do- double kick beat. Like it's not a, a, you know. Yeah. It's got some feel to it. It's not just a straight up like metal style double kick. But then it kind of like withdraws back. Yeah. And, and it kind of turns into you know just another sort of you know eighty late eighties album rock band. 
that's not all that impressive and they use some false intros yeah uh, quite a bit on this record where there'll be a good 30 to 45 seconds of you know an intro that is a particular sound and in such to set up a set up a song that ultimately is not what you end up with <laughs> they'll switch to a different part for the verse and not really come back to that again there's a couple spots on the record where they do that 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 tune is one that comes to mind where yeah you hear this intense double kick thing and you know kind of a fast guitar riff and then all of a sudden it cuts out and you go to this verse that's much more subdued i kind of appreciated the the one or two songs where they just get to the song you know instead of right. giving you the, the bait and switch on the intros yeah they do that quite a bit i kind of and i kind of wish that they shortened them up a little bit and made them a little tighter if you're gonna do that you know make it more integral to the song than just like hey we've got this cool heavy rocking part but we can only really use it at the beginning for whatever reason but i did like the uh mo- a lot of the songs had extended bridges that kind of were guitar solos and um well sometimes they were blatant guitar solos and other times they were sort of guitar solos um uh, meaning they would be melodic bits or there'd be two guitars playing something that's solo-like. kind of enjoyed that conceptually. Like it wasn't very – it's not very radio-friendly to do that Mm -hmm. because some of them are fairly long and different. But in some cases, it kept the song interesting. It it broke it out of that AOR mold that you were maybe expecting by the time you got to the chorus – you know, you, you start to think you understand the song at this point and you know what it's going to what it's about and what it's going to continue to deliver through the rest of the remaining four minutes or whatever. But those bridges, I think, help shake it up and give you a little twist and some music musicianship that's appreciated in thinking in terms of why this didn't break through in the United States. Is it fairly safe to say that this was dated, even though it was brand new by the time it came out in the United States? Yeah, well, I go back to the Divinals. You know, I think they have mm, a sound that's in the ballpark of this. They don't get this heavy, but, you know, they wrote a hit. You know, they had a song that had a provocative lyric and video. It's got a hook. It's got Got, a big hook. Yeah. Uh, The image is similar, you know, in terms of the two bands. Had they had a song like this on this record, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't have had their moment, at least at that time, because we were still transitioning. You know, there were still right. a good amount of interesting AOR type oriented bands that were, you know, still being supported on radio while we were seeing more and more of the alternative and grunge stuff take over. So they still had a good year or so window before it became much more difficult to break through. So the song is just missing a hit. Uh, and, and really, you know, that, that would be my final critique on the record would be there are some courses here that work and there's others where it's just not quite enough. You know, it's just if you're going to do this style of music, this type of production, this type of presentation, you got it. You got to deliver with the big chorus. And, and yep. there's not enough of those on here. I would concur that I think in some ways. This reminds me if you were like making a movie in the late 80s or early 90s about musicians, this sounds like the band that would be in the movie because the songs sound like super professional Mm. and they're well written, but they just don't have enough to push them over to being truly special. And 
f- having that like great hook, but they have enough of a hook that they're believable as you know something that would be popular. But they're just not quite there all the way to break through on a U.S. radio station or UK. Yeah, radio station. we ha- did. We had some of that going on, right? We had the uh, wasn't the show The Heights on around this time with. Uh, I want to say there was, uh, ninety-two. Oh, okay, so next the following year, so that's entirely possible. And that was the Jamie Walters, how do you talk to an angel? Which is a very AOR sounding song. Uh, yes. Didn't you have the the movie Satisfaction was late 80s, early 90s? You had this mm-hmm. uh, when you were talking about the band, you know, the fictional band from the movie. Wayne's World had a band, you know, it's, yeah. it's very much in the vein of, yeah, those those kinds of formats. I, I think she elevates it, though. You know, that's what makes it a little different is that. She, to me, is the true talent in the band and the, the one that's the most unique. Yep. Um, and elevates it above that absolutely sterile, generic, you know, TV-produced music. Yeah. So let's give our overall ratings, Jay, on this record. Were the album better EP or decent single? Where are you at? And an EP. I don't think there's any bad songs on here. Uh, I think towards the end of the record, the lyrics start to get a little stale and and whatnot so and i think the sound overall you know you start to see the band's limits so if you compare it down to an ep i would be much more compelled i think it would leave me wanting more um so i'm going to be ep i'm going to agree with you i believe that there are are four really strong songs on the record and i could probably add two more if i wanted to maybe with a little trimming but I think this is an EP-worthy release. I think it's, it's an interesting document from 91 as a comparison to what was going on in a different part of the world. You know, our show tends to be U.S.-based a lot of times, but we do like visiting the U.K. and Australia for what was going on. And uh, I think this is an interesting record, and I'm curious to check out some of the other stuff, both the, with the baby animals and what Suze did solo. So... And this French singing stuff that it, uh, <laughs> that uh, Keith brought up. So this is a good pick, Gavin. Thanks for uh, bringing this to our attention, both in the in a past episode and actually for this review. I don't remember him bringing them up, but I'm glad that uh, you were paying attention at that time, Jay. So you had a little bit of <laughs> head start on me for this. Uh, that's episode. why there's two of us. Yeah. So. Again, want to remind everybody, Patreon is where you go to become a subscriber. Uh, digmeoutpodcast.com, all the info. And, of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. That's it. For Jay, um, Tim, we're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.